0: Our text for this particular series of lessons is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Now, we read some other scripture here from the fourth chapter of Ephesians, but particularly this 15th verse reads, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Notice the expression, may grow up. And so we're talking about growing up. That is growing up spiritually. Now, I want to read again some scripture that we read from Matthew, the 6th chapter, the 25th through the 34th verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through verse 24. Jesus is speaking. He says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? That the 32nd verse said, For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. 26th verse, Your heavenly Father feedeth them. I want you to notice that he isn't talking about unbelievers or about sinners, because he is not the heavenly Father of sinners. Now you listen to some people, and they try to tell you that we're all children of God, God's the Father of all of us. But no, friends, the Bible teaches that the devil's the father of some people. You remember Jesus said to the very strictest sect of the Jewish religion, the Pharisees, the most religious people of that day, in John eight forty four, "'Ye are of your father, the devil.'" Now, he didn't say that our Heavenly Father was their father. He said the devil was their father. Well, we have become born again, and we become children of God. And only those who have been born again is the Father, their Heavenly Father.'" And so we're talking about growing up spiritually by getting acquainted with our Heavenly Father. There is no truth, friends, in all the Bible as far-reaching as the blessed fact that if we've been born again and come into the family of God, that God the Father is our Father and He cares for us. He's interested in us. I don't mean, you know, as a group or as a body or just as the church at large. I mean each one of us individually. He's interested in each one of his children, and he loves every single one of us with the same love. Then we talked about getting acquainted and walking with the Father. How are we going to do it? Well, through the Word. That's how. Through the Word. We left off with this verse. In Matthew 6.34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, I think that's a little bit blind to us. That's King James translation I read where it said, Take no thought for the morrow. I like the translation that reads, Be not anxious for the morrow. Because you see, sometimes you do have to think about tomorrow. You have to make appointments. You have to plan something. But really the thought he's trying to get over is, Don't worry about tomorrow. God doesn't want his children full of worry. He doesn't want us full of fretting. Now why? Because he loves us. Your heavenly father, the scripture said that we read, knoweth that you have need of these things. So have no worry, no fret, no anxiety. If he is your father, you can be assured he'll take a father's place, and he will perform a father's part. You may be certain that if he is your father, that he loves you and that he will care for you. Then turning to John's gospel, the 14th chapter, let's read verse 21, uh, 22, and verse 23. John fourteen twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. 22, 23. Jesus is speaking again, and he said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not is carrot." Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now here, dear friends, we have the revelation of our wonderful Heavenly Father's attitude toward his own children. There are two things that are emphasized. First, that you keep my commandments. Well now what are Jesus' commandments? He said, in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So that sums it up. There's no use worried about any other commandment, for love is the fulfilling of the law, Romans thirteen ten said. If you keep Jesus' commandment, you will have fulfilled all the rest of the commandments. And then, second thing that's noted here is, you shall be loved of my Father. You see, if you walk in love, you walk in God's realm, for God is love. The great Father God is a love God. His very nature, because He is love, compels Him to care for us, to protect us, and to shield us. Matthew the seventh chapter, and the eleventh verse, Jesus says again, "If ye then be in evil, know how to give good gifts." Unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Notice the expression there in this verse, how much more. That sends a thrill through my spirit. How much more? Are you a parent? Would you have it as your plan, purpose, and will that your children go through life poverty stricken, nose to the grindstone, sick? afflicted, downtrodden, downcast, down and out? No. Parents will sacrifice because they love their children. They'll work and sacrifice to help their children gain an education so they can have things better in life than they had. They want to shield them because they love them. They want to shield them from some of the bumps and knocks and hard times that they had. Well, I see, just natural humans are that way. Now, that's what Jesus said. If he then being evil or natural, human. You see, our relationship as sons and daughters is a challenge to his love. We hold the same relationship to the Father that Jesus did when he walked on the earth. Notice this verse, John seventeen twenty-three. Jesus is speaking here. I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, now get this, and has loved them as thou hast loved me. God our Father loves us just as he loved Jesus. And if he loves me as he loves Jesus, then I'm not afraid to face life's problems, for he is with me. As he was with our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. John the 16th chapter, the 32nd verse Behold, the hour cometh, yea, now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. You and I can say, I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. For if he loves me, as he loved Jesus, he's with me. As he was with Jesus, I am not alone. John the 16th chapter, the 27th verse. For the Father himself loveth you because he hath loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. Now nothing can be stronger or more comforting than this fact. The Father himself knows you, and he loves you, and he longs to bless you. Against the background of all of these statements that Jesus made relative to the Father, other scriptures then take on new light. They become immediately more real to us. For instance, First Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You see, this is a message from the very heart of the Father God to me and to you. He wants us to end worry, to end fear in doubt. You might say, can I do it? Certainly you can. How? by casting all your care upon him. He wants you to abandon yourself to his love and his care. So he said, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, personally, I like the Amplified Translation better than I do King James Translation. Because the Amplified Translation is more explicit, it reads, casting the whole of your care all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Then again, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 is a marvelous scripture. It reads, Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, here again, the Amplified Translation reads, Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Now, friends, God's Word is God speaking to us. So, Philippians here, 4th chapter and the 6th verse, that's my Father speaking to me. That's your Father speaking to you. Our Heavenly Father wants to walk with us just as He walked with Jesus when He was here on the earth. Then again, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, some have said yes, but Paul said that. And you remember, Paul was an apostle. Well, Paul didn't say he could do all things because he was an apostle. He said he could do all things through Christ. Paul wasn't in Christ any more than I'm in Christ or any more than you're in Christ. It was Christ who strengthened him. And the Father God is just as real, if we'll let him be, to us as he was to Paul or even to Jesus. And he's sending a message from his heart of love to you and me. He's telling us, you can do anything. You can rise to the place where you are unafraid in the most unpleasant circumstances because that you know that your Father is on your side. Romans 8.31, If God be for us, who can be against us? You see, the Father's love, and remember, He is love, compels Him to care for us. When you come to know His love, and to swing free in that love, then all doubts and fears will be destroyed. Again, the 27th Psalm in the first verse, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When you remember that it is this wonderful Heavenly Father who loves us, even as He loved Jesus, Then you can understand that we need not be afraid, even as Jesus is not afraid. He is your light. He is your deliverance. Now, salvation in this verse means deliverance. He is the strength of your life. Light, deliverance, strength. Then there's nothing to fear. What can man do to the man whom God loves and protects? Remember in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 5 and 6, the latter part of the 5th verse, And then the sixth verse, For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now notice, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. He is your helper, and he will meet your needs. Philippians 4.19 said, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, friends, that's not religion. It's not preaching. It's a living truth from the heart of our wonderful, lovely Father God to us. He wants us to know that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Then the 23rd Psalm. You know it. It's so beautiful. But it's more than just words. The Lord is my shepherd. "'Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, "'and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.'" Now, to me, no passage in all the Bible describes the love attitude of God the Father and of Jesus toward us more beautifully than the 23rd Psalm. Now, you know, many of these Psalms are prophetic. The 22nd Psalm is a picture of Jesus dying. In the 23rd Psalm, he is the good shepherd. The 24th Psalm shows him as the coming King of kings and Lord of lords upon this earth. Well, we're living in the 23rd Psalm right now. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, when Jesus came, he said, I am. Now, notice, present tense. I am the good shepherd. Notice. Romans said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, are Jesus as Lord. See? Now the Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. You see, that same Lord that we've confessed to be our Lord is my shepherd because he said, I'm the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So we can live in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord's my shepherd. I do not want. Now, I keep it, instead of saying, I shall not, that makes it future tense. I I read it, I do not, because he's my present tense shepherd. That means there's perfect satisfaction. Well, all of that belongs to us. 23rd Psalm is mine, it's yours. And uh, our Heavenly Father, my Father, you see, is the one who's on the throne. My Father is the one that prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Praise God. And so I can laugh at my enemies for he guides me down the paths of grace through the realm of righteousness where I stand in his presence as though sin had never been. And I romp and play in the throne room of grace with never a thought nor a fear nor a dread because you see my father is the one who's on the throne. Now he may be judged to the world and he may be God to the sinner but he's father to me. And sometimes I come in, most of the time in fact to visit with him, and I hear him say, Son, is there anything you want? What can I do for you? And I say, Father, I don't want a thing. You're so wonderful and so lovely and so good. You've already provided for me all I'll ever need, and you wrote me a letter and told me about it. So I don't have a care, I don't have a need, I I don't have a want that hasn't been met. No, I didn't come for something. I'll tell you, Father, I just came in to visit with you for a while. I just wanted to hang around the throne. I'd just like to be near you, Father. My father said to me, Oh, I could hear his voice so plainly as he spoke to me, Son, you don't know how that delights my heart. No earthly father ever desired the companionship and the fellowship of his children any more than I, the heavenly Father, desire the fellowship and the companionship of my children. You know, he said to me, I made man so I'd have someone to fellowship with. I made man for my companion. In fact, I'll put it this way, and he said it to me just in these words. I made man so I'd have someone to pal with. I put Adam on the earth in the garden, and in the cooler day, I'd go down and walk and talk with him. It is so blessed, dear friends, and so wonderful to be able to walk with God. And so get acquainted with your father by walking with Him. Get acquainted with Him through the Word. All these scriptures we've given you, we could give you many more, you just add to them, that reveals your Father, His love, His care, His protection, His keep, His attitude toward your child. Our main text for this series is Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Notice right in that verse, the 15th verse, those three words, may grow up. We are talking about growing up spiritually. Now notice the 13th verse of this same fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or unto a mature, full-grown man. Now, growing up spiritually we can say, has to do with knowledge. Because he said, till we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. So we may paraphrase it like this, growing up spiritually by receiving the knowledge. How is it going to come about? That is, how are we going to receive the knowledge of the Son of God until we grow up into a mature, full-grown Christian? I think we all want to be mature spiritually. But just wanting it to be doesn't make it so. How are we going to grow spiritually? Well, we've already pointed out in some of our other lessons at the beginning of this series that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter says, or I like to put it like this, the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Peter, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow. Now there's that word grow, that you may grow thereby. You see, God starts us in the spiritual just like folks get started in the natural. When babies are born, they start off on milk. They couldn't eat meat. And God says that this sincere milk of the Word will cause us to grow. Yet there are some things Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and to the Hebrew church which are of interest to us. Let's notice from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And I, brethren, Paul says, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Then in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, the eleventh verse, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Or, now we might put it this way, some things are hard to get over to folks because they are dull of hearing. Twelfth verse, For when for the time ye are to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the articles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one, that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Now, the margin of the King James translation reads, has no experience in the word of righteousness. Well, we might ask, now, why has he no experience in the word of righteousness? For he is a babe. But strong meat, the 14th verse says, belongs to them that are of full age, or that is, mature, Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, we can readily see, friends, that back there in the early church, they had the same problem then that we face now, that of growing. They were just like us. They should have been teachers, but they still needed to be taught. They couldn't be taught anything very deep, but still had to be taught the Word. Paul said, I fed you on milk, for you couldn't take the meat. The milk of the word he's talking about here is the preaching and staying with the first principles of the doctrine of Christ that's given to us in Hebrews, the 6th chapter, verses 1 and 2. Paul calls that the milk of the word, not the strong meat. When you still have to be taught the first principles, you're still on milk. It seems to me that that's about all that we've done and about all that we've had to do. But now, how are we going to grow up? Well, let's look back at that clause in Ephesians 4.13, which speaks about growing up in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, receiving the knowledge, feeding upon God's Word until you gain a knowledge of the plan of God which He planned and sent the Lord Jesus to consummate, until you gain a knowledge of what you are in Christ and Christ in you, Until you gain a knowledge of what He did for you in His death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating at the right hand of the Father. Until you gain a knowledge of what He's doing for you right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, where He ever liveth to make intercession for you. Until you gain a knowledge of your standing before the throne of God. Until you gain a knowledge of the fact that He defeated Satan and demons and that all the forces of the rulers of the darkness of this world are dethroned powers, and that they can't rule over you. Now, when you do that, you're getting out beyond milk. But you know, you can't preach that to some folks. You can't get too deep in there. To be honest with you, I know a lot of things I've never taught yet. Well, now, why not? Well, folks have to be ready for it. Paul said, in effect, There are some things I'd like to teach you, but you couldn't bear it. They couldn't take it. And I don't mean it as some far-fetched revelation. It's a pure, simple, reveal word of God, but it's beyond where we've been. So we have to go slowly so folks can assimilate what we do give them. Well, God wants us to grow. That's quite obvious. Then we might ask the question, why haven't we grown? Now, if we are real children of God, born of God, and we haven't grown... It's because we haven't had the right diet. I don't blame people, and I'm not scolding you. I'm thoroughly convinced the ministry is to blame. I believe most people, 99 and 99 one-hundredths out of 100, would rise to the level of the Word of God for them if they knew it. But just because a man is one of the ministry gifts, that is, he may be an apostle or a missionary or sent one or a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, doesn't mean he's a full-grown Christian. It just means he has that calling upon his life. He still has to develop and grow himself. I know in the last church I pastored, during the winter months of 1947-48, I shut myself up in the church, sometimes for days at a time, with the Word of God, the Bible. I would kneel and read the Bible on my knees. I'd read for hours and for weeks. I'd read it for years, of course, but this time I took those two prayers that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians one 17 through 17-19, and Ephesians 3:14 through 21 and I'd leave one of my Bibles open to that place. There at Ephesians all week, and every time I'd come into the building, I'd get on my knees and say, "Father, I'm praying these prayers for myself." If I had to make a call or something arose, when I'd come back, even though may, I may have already done it several times that day, I would pray these prayers for myself. That the eyes of my understanding—I'd put Paul said you talking about the church at Ephesus, but I put me and mine. I'm praying it for me. That the eyes of my understanding may be enlightened, that I may know what is the hope of His calling, and so on, right on through the prayer. Now, it didn't seem to do a bit of good for a while, but I just kept on praying them. Then after a while, I began to get revelation from the Word. Now, He couldn't have revealed the Word to me if I hadn't been feeding on it. It began to open up to me. Within a few days, 30 days or so, I learned more than I'd learned in the previous 13 or 14 years of my ministry put together. And I said to my wife, what in the world have I been preaching? My, 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 that little old stuff. I've been putting out wasn't even milk, it was just blue john. Well, now some folks don't know what blue john is, but uh, coming from north central Texas, blue john, you know, is just simply milk with the cream taken off of it. And so, instead of just feeding on the milk of God's word, many people are not even getting real milk. They're just getting blue john. Well, now, This revelation, as I said, and and this knowledge of the Word didn't come just because I prayed. That was just a part of it. I spent equal time, if not more time, with the Word as I did praying. Friends, you can't build a prayer life just praying alone. It has to be built upon God's Word. So, when the Bible speaks about our becoming a perfect man or a mature man, or full-grown man, the terminology knowledge of the Son of God is used here in Ephesians 4.13. It infers that it is this knowledge which will cause us to become full-grown and cause us to become mature Christians. We have failed to grow because of the lack of right teaching. God put teachers in the church. He set them in there, you know, in Ephesians 4.11 and in 1 Corinthians 12.28. Among other ministry gifts, he mentioned teachers. Now, there are some ways all of us could do some teaching. From the natural standpoint, we could tell people what we know, could teach them to some extent. But on the other hand, there are those that are specially called of God and anointed by the Spirit of God to teach. They're called to be a teacher, to stand in this office. It is a ministerial gift that God's placed in the church. Now, we know, of course, that the Holy Ghost is also to be our teacher. But after all, that is the Holy Ghost teaching us when he anoints men to teach. Some people get off on the idea that no one can tell me anything, I don't need to be taught, I've got the Holy Ghost, I know as much as anyone knows. But friends, that's ignorance. God's word declares that he set teachers in the church to teach us. Much of our so-called teaching has been out of our minds and not out of our hearts. We've gained a general head knowledge, a mental knowledge of the Word, but never got the spiritual import of it. Through the years, what we've known as teaching so many times has been so cold and dead and not much to it that we almost turn up our nose at the mention of it. But, friends, the anointing of the Spirit of God upon genuine teaching of the Word of God is alive. I didn't know the difference myself one day. I used to be a preacher. I could preach Spurgeon sermons as well as anyone. I could read them and preach them word for word. I learned to sermonize and studied homiletics and so on. I loved to preach with that old evangelistic fire and fervor. And once in a while, I, I crack down on it and do it yet. Yeah. Well, I was pastor of a church many years ago, way back 1943, down in Texas. I'd never been a teacher till then. I didn't like it. it. It was a custom in this church that I was pastor at that time, that at the Sunday school hour on Sunday morning, that they have an auditorium Bible class. It was made up of the older men and women. And uh, the pastor was supposed to teach it. That was their custom. Well, I didn't like to teach it. In fact, I wouldn't even look at the Sunday school quarterly all the week. I studied the Bible, prepared sermons, but I wouldn't even look into the lesson till Saturday night. I knew I could read it over 10 or 15 minutes and get up and tell it. Well, they all seemed to enjoy it, but I never was so glad of anything in all of my life as when that class period was over, because I wanted to preach, you see, and not teach. But I remember... At 3 o'clock, one Thursday afternoon in the parsonage of this church, God gave me a teaching gift. I knew it on the inside of me. I knew it when it was born. I said out loud, I can teach now. I just knew it. Somebody said, how would you know it by an inward witness, by something on the inside of me? It, it was just as real as you drop a coin down, you know, in the telephone to make a call, and you hear that coin go down in there. I just felt something drop down inside of me. I knew what it was. I said, I can teach now. Well, to prove this, I started out in a most unlikely way. I didn't use any of the main services where folks would come anyway. A ladies' prayer group met on Wednesday afternoons at the church, and I started teaching them, just seven or eight of them. Well, do you know what surprised me? I could stand there just as still and never move out of my tracks, never raise my hands, and the anointing would come on me greater than anything I'd ever sensed. Well, I began to teach those seven or eight ladies, they told their husbands and others, and in two or three weeks, 15 or 20 were coming. Some of the husbands took off from their jobs to come. Before you knew it, we had more people on Wednesday afternoon than on Wednesday night. Before you knew it, the church building was practically full on Wednesday afternoon. And that proved to me that people want to learn and they want to know. Now, several years after I left that church, I ran into one of those ladies. She said, thank God, Brother Hagin, for those teaching sessions. That's all I've been living on for the past several years. If I hadn't gotten that, I'm sure I would never have made it. I'm still feeding on it. I've never heard any teaching since then. All we get is preaching. Well, friends, we need preaching all right. But believers need teaching. People of God need teaching. You know, the Lord said to me a number of years ago, get on the radio and teach. Don't preach, teach. Now, that's the reason I spend my time on the radio teaching. Now, let's come back to Jesus and his ministry for a moment. Look at Matthew, the ninth chapter, the 35th verse. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages doing what? Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, you read through the four gospels, And you'll find that every time he went to the synagogue, he always taught. Down by the seashore one day he was teaching. The crowd pushed him back to the shore. There were a couple of men that were washing and mending their nets as they'd been fishing. One of them was Simon Peter. Jesus asked if he could borrow his boat. Got in it, pushed it away from shore. And then it says in Luke 5, 3, And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now after he was baptized... That is in water. And the Holy Ghost came upon him in the bodily form as a dove, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and tempted the devil, and after he came back in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, Luke four fifteen says, And he taught Now notice that, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. Now these were the people of God of that day. The synagogue would correspond to the church house of today. Every time he went into it he taught. The lack of right teaching is the primary reason we've failed to grow. Certainly we can study for ourselves and grow to some extent. But God also put teachers in the church to help us to grow, to feed us upon God's Word. Then another thing that has hindered our spiritual growth is the fault of inadequate teaching. The church has not majored in the things it should have. As one fellow said, she's majored in the minors. When something was taught or preached, it was something of minor importance rather than something of major importance. If you're going to grow, you'll have to be fed on the Word of God. Now, the church has been strong in teaching man his need of righteousness, his weakness, and inability to please God. She has been strong in denouncing sins in the believer. She's preached against unbelief, world conformity, and lack of faith. But, dear friends, the church has been sadly lacking In bringing forth the truth of what we are in Christ and of how righteousness and faith are available. A lot of people will tell you what you need, but they won't tell you how to get it. And you are not a bit better off. It's like one man said as they went away from church, his wife noticed something was wrong with him. What's the matter? She asked, I don't know, he said. I'm disappointed and discouraged. With what? She asked, with the church, with our pastor. He preached on faith this morning. He quoted all those wonderful scriptures. All things are possible to him that believeth. What things have ye desire when you pray? Believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. He told us what faith would do if we had it. He told us we ought to get it, but he didn't tell us how. I'm just hanging out here and there. I know I ought to get it. I know what it would do if I had it, but I don't know how to get it. Well, you see, the real truth about it is, friend, he had faith all the time. Faith to be saved. If he had been taught correctly, he would have known he could have fed that measure of faith on God's word, and it would grow. He could use that same faith to receive healing for his body. He could use that same faith to get answers to prayer. He could use that same faith to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but he didn't know it. Now, you can't blame him, because what he heard hindered him more than it helped him. It didn't feed him. It took out of him. Well, now you can readily see that these things are the things that defeat us. And so we need to realize that our ministry, too many times, maybe unconsciously, has fed the congregation a psychology of unbelief. Instead of talking about what they have, they talk about what they don't have. They talk about politics. Now, where did Jesus ever say, go into all the world and preach politics? He didn't. Where have you ever read that Jesus said, go into all the world and give a book review? He didn't. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel. Unconsciously or consciously our ministry has fed us on a psychology of unbelief. The word of God produces faith. Listen to what God's word has to say and walk in the light of it. Get acquainted with God through the word. I remember one time there was such a refined beautiful lady that came up after the final service of one of our meetings to shake hands with us. It was the first time she'd come up during the three week meeting. But I watched her. She sat there and listened and blossomed, her face lit up. She said, Brother Hagen, thank you. For what I asked? She said, For the Word. You've given me back my joy of salvation. I said, Well, praise the Lord. She said, I'm a visitor here. The last service that I attended in my church... I can understand, she said, that the pastor was trying to get us to pray, but instead of preaching it the right way to make us want to pray, he beat us over the head for nearly an hour. When he got through, I went to the altar, got on my knees, stuck my head on the altar, and I said, Dear God, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. I don't know whether I have anything or not. I don't know where I am or who I am. I stayed there, she said, and cried until 1.30 in the afternoon. But she said to me, You've encouraged us to pray. And I believe I'm praying more than I ever did in my life. I know I'm enjoying my fellowship with the Lord more than ever. I know I've got back the joy that I had when I was first a newborn babe. Well, now, one reason, friends, that we haven't grown is we preach to believers like they were sinners. You see, that's what happened here in this case. We treated them like they were sinners and fed them like they were sinners until we've undermined their faith. We need to present God's blessings and God's power in such a way that folks will want to do it and get so hungry they can't help but do it. If you have to force people, it isn't going to work or be much of a blessing or a benefit to them anyhow. Now see, I'm talking about the things that uh, defeat us. Too many times, instead of talking about what we have as Christians and what belongs to us, So many times the teacher, the preacher talks about what they don't have. And so, as I said unconsciously, our ministry has fed us on a psychology of unbelief. Do you ever notice that so many of the songs that we sing are not really scriptural? Friends, I'm talking about the things that keep us from growing. Most hymns put off redemption till after death. We don't have much here. We can't expect much here. But we're going to have it after a while. We're going to have to do the best we can here. Wander around like a beggar in this old gloomy world. When we all get to heaven, it'll be different. Well, it would be different now if you'd believe God. Now, you listen to the songs that are sung. Listen to the sermons. They tell you that we have a promise of eternal life. Now, preaching that to believers. We don't have the promise of eternal life. The sinner does. We have it. Eternal life isn't something you're going to have when you get to heaven. It's something you have right now. Notice 1st John 5:13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now notice the present tense here. That ye have, have, have. The Bible says, 1st John 3:14, that we have passed from death that's spiritual death unto life. Now, the Greek word for life is zoe. It's the same, well, there's several Greek words, but the word uh, that's translated life means different thing. But this particular one is zoe, spelled Z-O-E. It's the same word that's used in John three sixteen that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have zoe. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come. Now, what did Jesus come for? I am come that they might have life. Now, that's why he came. He came that we might have life. The Greek word for life here is this, zoe, Z-O-E, zoe life. Sometimes it's translated life, sometimes eternal life, sometimes everlasting life, but it's all the same. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly, John ten ten. Now, he said you can have this life right now, and you can have an abundance of it, and he said that that's why he came. Now I listen to another minister preaching on the radio telling about how we have the promise of eternal life. We're going to have it one of these days. No, if you don't have it in this life, you'll never have it in the afterlife. Romans six twenty three said, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord." It's a gift you receive now. You receive this life, this zoe, the life of God, the God kind of life into your spirit, into your inward being. It changes your life. This life is the nature of God. It makes you a new creature and displaces that old nature you had on the inside of you. So you become a new man in Christ Jesus with a new nature. And Second Corinthians five seventeen said, "Old things are passed." way, behold, all things have become new. But most of our hymns we sing put redemption and eternal life off until after death. We're going to have it then. We're going to have rest when we get to heaven. Do you know what the Bible teaches? It teaches that we can have rest and peace right now. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 11, chapter 28 through the 30th verses. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Now notice verse 30, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The way some people talk, I just wonder what they're yoked up with. It's always a hard luck story, always going through a trial, always having a hard time, always scraping the bottom of the barrel, or else under the barrel with the barrel on top of them. Oh, this heavy burden we have to bear. We're going to lay down our heavy burdens one day. Oh, no. Friends, you lay them down when you find Jesus. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said it's not hard, it's not burdensome, it's not heavy. What are you yoked up with? Now, unconsciously, these who talk the way I've been talking, that is, you know, I'm going to lay these heavy burdens down one of these days, and so on and so forth, talk unbelief. They've got yoked up with unbelief. Though they actually belong to Jesus and have been born again, they've gotten yoked up with unbelief and their burden became heavy instead of light. They couldn't sleep, they couldn't eat, they felt like they had butterflies in their stomach. Friends, when there's rest in your soul, it will affect your body, it will affect your entire being. So many times they saying we're going to have victory after a while. No, thank God, we have victory right now. Notice what First John 5, 4 said. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith." We're going to be overcomers when we get to heaven. No, we're overcomers now. Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? He's on our side. We're victors. We're overcomers now. We're going to have peace with God when we get to heaven. That is what the Bible says. Romans 5 one says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to have that peace. The Bible does say, There is no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked, Isaiah forty eight twenty two. Now, if I didn't have this peace, I'd go to checking up on myself. But he didn't say that to Christians. He said that to sinners, to the wicked. When you preach to Christians like they were sinners, you build that kind of consciousness into them. You hold them under condemnation. They can't grow. It's impossible. It's the wrong diet. It isn't even the sincere milk of the Word. Dr. John Alexander Dowey said, Our songs are embalmed with unbelief, and that's kept us from growing. We've sung those songs so much, we think they're so. Well, I don't want to bind you, but it would just simply be better not to sing than to sing a bunch of junk and a bunch of unbelief. According to the way some of our songs go, there'll be no more failing when we get to heaven. We'll have nothing on this side. We don't have anything on this side. You can't expect anything on this side except failure, misery, disappointment, and weakness. Now, that isn't what the Word of God teaches. Paul said we're more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, more than conquerors. Yes, but Paul was an apostle, someone said. Paul didn't say he was a conqueror because he was an apostle. He said we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, Romans eight thirty-seven. Christ didn't belong to Paul any more than he does to us. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have any test. That doesn't mean you won't have any trials. That doesn't mean it's just going to fall on you like ripe cherries off of a tree or that you're going to float down the river of time on flowery beds of ease. It didn't with Paul. He got into jail. He got his back beaten. He got his feet in stocks. He was in her most prison with every reason in the world to gripe and complain. But at midnight, he and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and they were delivered. When he got on board that ship as a prisoner, he said, "Sirs, I perceive, this voyage will be as much hurt and damage, and so on. Also to our lives, Acts 27, 10. They didn't pay attention to him. But you know, he wound up as captain of that boat, so to speak. Everybody listened to him. And he came forth and was delivered, and the whole bunch of us was delivered. Thank God we are more than conquerors. That belongs to you as well as to Paul. I'm going to say a th- hard thing. If you're on the bottom, it's because you deserve to be there. Don't stay there. You don't have to. Do you know what brought Paul out? You can see it in his words. When all hope that they should be saved was gone, old Paul stepped forth right in the midst of it with the answer. He had heard from heaven. Now we have God's word, and we've heard from heaven. It couldn't be any more sure if an angel came down from heaven and wrote it with his finger in a granite rock. That couldn't be any more sure than God's written word. So Paul said, Sirs, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, he said, be of good cheer, For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Acts 27, verse 21 through 25. Now, I like that fellow, Paul. He made three positive statements, three positive confessions. I belong to God. I serve God. I believe God. And that's what caused him to rise. If he'd been like most folks, he'd have been whipped right in the midst of this crisis. And the whole bunch would have gone down. For most folks would have said, I've been trying to serve him all these many years. The Lord knows I've been trying to serve him. If he doesn't intervene somehow, we're all going. And they would have all gone. Now, I'm not making fun. I'm just stating facts. That's what defeats us. Paul didn't say, I'm trying to serve him. He said, I am serving God, the God whose I am. I belong to him. Someone said, well, I hope I do. Thank God I know I do. I belong to Him. I serve Him. I believe Him. And that's so with you as a Christian. Make that your confession. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rema.org. Or write Kenneth Hagan Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.